And I see check marks, which is always a good sign. This week, everyone, I'm here with Mason Harris. Mason, in 10 words or less, who are you? 10 words or less. Okay, I've used four and a couple more. Okay, 10 words or less. I am an inquisitive person that enjoys life and I'm curious about why certain attributes contribute more to success than others. All right, and we're going to explore this deeply as we get into this program and I'm going to I'm going to run the intro reel and then we're going to get into this right now. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like, and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Awesome. Mason, you're joining us live from near Washington, D.C. in the Maryland yes. area. And today we're, we're talking and, and before we hit record, you gave me a little bit of a little bit of a, a language lesson. We're talking about chutzpah today. Oh, and uh, I mean, this concept, this idea, I mean, obviously it goes by a few other names. You've written a book on the topic, which is why I wanted to have you come on. Um, why don't we start off, though, by learning a little bit more about you and your background so you can lead us into why you decided to study this particular idea to the point of being able to write a book on the topic? Uh, sure. Um, it's a good way to start. I've always been curious about how people achieve their dreams. Growing up in an environment where I saw people from all walks of life, and I grew up in New York City, which... Uh, despite some issues it may have, it is wonderfully diverse. And I had an opportunity to learn from many different people from many different cultures. And I started realizing that people who were most successful, and by successful, I mean in their lives and possibly business as well, had an attitude about life, about almost self-advocacy. And that's what got me curious about it. As I developed in my own career, and I've always thought of myself as somebody who's in the business of selling ideas, persuasion. And that naturally led me at one point to sales. I was in marketing, a sales opportunity opened up for less money. And people said, why would you do that? I said, because salespeople deal with customers. Here in marketing, we deal with what we think customers do or want or need. And I want to know firsthand. So that's what led me there. So I created the, the chutzpah model initially as a sales or persuasion, a high level piece, and found that it was inspirational to the audience and then started modifying some things beyond that. Okay. And, and what other words are out there that kind of describe this concept? Because I, I might have an idea in my own head about what, what we're talking about here. What you know, and I, I might call it gutsiness or 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 I don't know, um, being brave. Like what other comments or words have you seen bandied about that kind of get at the same concept? Guts, bravery, courage are words people use. In the research I did, I realized that it was a lot more complex than that. That it's not a simple, boy, that that person is really talk about perseverance. He won't. He or she won't let go. There's an opportunity, they pursue it. And that's true. That's an element of this. 
but I came to the conclusion that actually it's a combination of behaviors and attributes that leads to the skill set that I call chutzpah. And the, the book, as you know, is, is a chutzpah becomes an acronym for a model. And we'll have a chance to discuss that later. But the more interesting thing for me, quite honestly, is we're speaking with entrepreneurs and people who are maybe looking to buy a business, sell a business, have started a business. And right away, there's that definition of chutzpah. They wouldn't be doing what they were doing if they weren't willing to stretch personal boundaries, to take risks that others do not take. So if I was to say, give me a, an illustration or a dictionary picture, what would show up in the dictionary if they had a picture of chutzpah? I'd probably show the, the, solo entrepreneur, the solopreneur or the entrepreneur, the small business owner who puts it on the line and hopefully raises income levels, service levels, efficiency so that others can benefit. So you're you're basically talking about a a and I like how you use the term skill set because it would imply then that this is something that can be worked on and developed and you're you're talking about basically someone who takes agency for themselves accepts responsibility and lives with a certain degree of intention and and you're right you know my audience the comments that I get from them the emails I get from them let me know that and we're talking about people who actually are trying to hang on to the reins of their life. They're, they're giving themselves direction versus, you know, as I'm sure we all meet, uh, the, what appears to be the vast majority of people who are simply reacting to stimuli that get put in front of them. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd also go further. It's There are a lot of instances where people aren't entrepreneurs. They work, but they have chutzpah themselves. There's a story I tell in the book about a taxi driver in Spain in the early days of COVID, when everybody was fearful and staying uh, in their homes, cab drivers were needed to take people to hospitals for their COVID tests. And Spain was one of the countries that was hit particularly hard in the very I early remember, yeah. And I saw this on TV was an interview with a cab driver who had chosen to continue driving despite the risk to himself and to top it off, he wasn't even collecting fares. But he did it because he saw these people were in fear, needed health care, needed to get to a hospital, and he was in a position to do it. That type of stretching boundaries, handling objections, um, uh, uncovering or solving problems for people fits into the chutzpah side for me. On a, a, a very personal level, I've seen people say, do I have chutzpah? And I had somebody speaking with, um, happened to be the, uh, like I am, I actually, my parents are immigrants. This person was also first generation. And in just speaking with him, he said, you know, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. And I go, well, that's chutzpah. You're a trailblazer. If you're the first person to do that in your family or in that field, and you know that there are easier choices, but you've chosen that one, you're, you have that element of chutzpah in you. Uh, Kevin is joining us from Florida. He says, good evening. Good evening, Kevin. Good to see you here. And uh, for anyone who's joining us live, if you have questions and things, we will be getting to them uh, as we get towards the end of the program. So please uh, put any comments, questions, et cetera, for Mason uh, or about what we're talking about into the comment box. You, you talked about someone who asked if they had chutzpah and so, or chutzpah, 
And um, so then I'm going to ask you this, is this a measurable quality? Is there, is there a way to, to measure someone's level of this character trait? It's interesting because I'm actually working on a measurement tool, but the tool looks at the, again, those eight key behaviors and characteristics. Because, uh, for example, um, somebody who, who, well, the, the C in chutzpah, I said that it's an acronym. That stands for an old Latin phrase we're all familiar with. And if we think about modern day advertising and the logo, just do it. And that swoosh, I think everybody in the audience knows, oh, that's Nike. Yeah. It absolutely is. The just do it is basically a few thousand years behind carpe diem, which is seize the day, seize the opportunity, do it. Carpe diem is the first of these eight characteristics of chutzpah. Well, we can measure quantitatively who is more likely to do things in certain situations. Who's more likely to say, that's an interesting opportunity. I'm going to take advantage of that. I might switch jobs. I might move to another location. I might open a, a company. Whereas other people are less likely to take those risks. And there can be a number of factors. It can be timing in somebody's life. But even when you look at those and you exclude for certain factors, you'll find that some people are willing to seize the day, seize the opportunity to uh, take advantage of this carpe diem that's in front of them. So yes, I believe that it is measurable. You, you know, you you talked about how, you know, you grew up in New York City and, and uh, the, the son of some first generation immigrants and you meet other people who share that same sort of happenstance of being an immigrant. In, and then you describe about carpe diem and seizing opportunity. Do you think that um, the fact that you were in a place like New York, which is the destination for so many people moving from one country to another, that you just happen to be in the middle of a huge number of people who happen to have these kinds of characteristics. And that's interesting because certainly for people who leave their homeland, many not necessarily voluntarily, but even if it is voluntarily because they seek new opportunity, they feel held back, they want Op, um, options for different and more education, higher levels of learning. That's an act of chutzpah. It's not easy to say goodbye to family or mm -hmm. customs and geography that you're familiar with. Language, what a barrier it is for so many immigrants. Without a doubt, they have chutzpah. But I don't want to minimize that people who have been here for generations also have chutzpah. I remember I did a presentation in the middle of the country, and actually Oklahoma, which is a bit on the west western side of the U.S., although not west coast. And I asked the question I ask in every presentation, uh, who's familiar with chutzpah? And if I was in New York, I'd expect a lot of hands to go up, maybe even because it's New York, some fistfights would break out. It's always impossible to tell with a crowd. You never know. Um, people would be yelling things out at me. Uh, here in Oklahoma, a couple of hands went up. And when I asked the question, I was a little bit worried. Am I out of my element here? Am I with a group of people who won't really understand what I mean when I say, wow, I am so impressed with a company that she built. What chutzpah? Or can you imagine the chutzpah of that guy stealing from those people? So this is where you get both connotations. But I didn't know what would happen. A few hands came up. And one of the words that somebody shared with me, I thought, what a great definition. And it was gumption. Gumption. Okay. And then 
it's because chutzpah is really universal. There's a Finnish word, I believe it's Finnish, sisu, S-I-S-U, where I, when I looked up that definition and it was told to me by somebody else, actually after an online uh, presentation, that, oh, sisu, this is uh, sounds very familiar with what I knew. So I said, you've got it. This really is pretty good. It doesn't have the complexities of the model and speak about it in terms of a skill set, which is learnable. And that's the most important thing that I can share with the audience. We can all learn, or even if we have some of these skills, these behaviors, these characteristics, we understand how they fit together to lead to uh, more results in our favor. Now, when I was reading the book, and and I enjoyed it very much. In fact, I I Thank you. decided to uh, to download the cover. So there it is, right there. It's, it's got a person with a red umbrella walking across the word, and uh, the tagline is "Go bigger, be bolder, and do better." Uh, it's a little bit fuzzy on my screen, yeah. And and so what you know, we we talked about carpe diem. What are some of the other characteristics? Oh, sure. By the way, that the, the cover as well for people, it was on very quickly. But in essence, that person, if you get it back up, is trying to cross very high up one barrier. And that barrier is space to get to the other side. So for me, it, it was representative of chutzpah being a bridge, that skill set helping people overcome what scares a lot of others away. So as far as some of the other characteristics, I mentioned the C as carpe diem. Uh, let's see, since we're thinking in terms of um, bosses, why don't we think, actually, it's not exclusively bosses, because every one of us, every day, has to make decisions. And decision-making can be very, very uncomfortable for people. However, those with chutzpah understand that one, delaying decisions beyond a reasonable amount of time or no decision actually is your decision. Right. It's a decision to let circumstances or events outside of your control lead to a conclusion, as opposed to using what impact you have, what ability you have to change things or change the direction of results. Now, decision-making, it's in, in groups or in companies, frequently I've had people say, you know what we do? We get everybody together and then we try and get a consensus. I like the idea of getting consensus or even more importantly, getting spirited debate. I actually prefer people disagreeing respectfully mm -hmm. with each other, challenging each other to support their ideas. But as far as realistically, when the decision comes down, one person has to make it based on the facts, ideas, conjectures, all of that that's presented. So the A in chutzpah stands for ambiguity minimization. By the way, Jeff Bezos of Amazon fame, mm -hmm. um, he has a model that he likes to, to speak about in terms of decision-making. And since he's done reasonably well, I, I think it's probably worth listening to what he says. He, he talks about a, uh, a door that swings it swings either in one direction or it can swing open and swing back the other way. He says, think of decisions as the swinging door. If it's an easy decision, you know that, look, I make the decision. It's the wrong decision. I go through the door. Oh, this isn't working out. I come back through the door. I change and I go back again. Those decisions can come more quickly. The more difficult ones 
And as business people, as entrepreneurs, your audience knows, wow, a hire is critical. We need to hire carefully. If we're investing in new technology, we're investing in a mold for manufacturing, this can be, this can be very expensive. Or there can be long lead times. And if we're wrong, we're in a seriously... Uh, we're in serious position in terms of having fallen behind our, comp our competition. So that he considers to be a one-way door. You walk right. through it, you make a decision, you chart your company on a path. It's much harder to come through that door. Maybe not impossible, but it's, it's much harder. And that decision takes a lot more deliberation. It's a lot more scary for us to make. He says the difficulty is so many people look at a two-way door decision, the easy ones, as if, Oh, no, I can't afford to fail. Chutzpah teaches us that because of failure, we grow and we can recover. Now, that particular section of the book, I found very interesting. I actually noted it here. Um, and there was a discussion in that section of the book where you talk about how some people who I think you just explained it, even if it's an easily undoable question, uh, decision, they will still hesitate and, and treat it as though it's a very expensive decision. Um, the, the example I thought in my head was like painting a room, right? I don't know if I want it yellow or blue. Well, if you just paint it blue and see what you think, you're talking about the cost of a can of paint. Like it's not, it's not a huge, uh, you know, uh, expense or problem. It's going to take some of your time to redo the job. But, um, some people are are just so unwilling to end up with the mistake or the error or the perception of being wrong that they just don't want to do it. Do you, do, you, do you think this is part of how people are conditioned by things like the school, you know, like, like wanting to get the test answers correct? Do, do you think that that's somehow part of this? Two things. First, I love the example you gave with the painting the room because people – Sometimes think, oh boy, how am I, what, what should I do? And that decision takes a long time. It's not, I'm going to build an addition. Should I go up or should I go out? Right? That's a major decision. You decide yeah. you to build up and then you realize, ooh, I don't have an elevator. And my knees are starting to go, you have a problem. So that's first. I happen to love that example. Okay, as far as our unwillingness sometimes to make decisions, there's always ambiguity about a decision we make. When we think about it, there is a category of people um, that I call, actually it's the T in chutzpah, stands for trailblazers. These are people who are willing to really go beyond. Talk about stretching boundaries. We can think of trailblazers in science, in medicine, in exploration, uh, Elon Musk frequently comes to mind and, is, and people say, what do you think of, of Mr. Musk's accomplishments? And I go, because it's accomplishments, he clearly is a trailblazer. It doesn't stop. I've, I've read about his history and how he got started as a teenager writing a software program and selling that and building uh, one, one company after another. Uh, so you have the trailblazer element. Do we teach our children to think in terms of trailblazer, to to risk failure? And that's a great question. It hasn't been posed to me before. We teach people, make sure you get those right answers. We also typically don't people don't teach people to challenge something a teacher says. Hmm. So it's kind of like, this is the way it is. 
as opposed to, but you know, in a previous lesson, you spoke about this and it seems like it's a little bit contrarian. It's okay to be contrarian. There is uh, a great book for salespeople called The Challenger Sale. Which oh, yes, I've read this one, yeah. Right. So it looks at five different styles, primary styles of salespeople. And the one I had always considered myself to be was, uh, I guess, the I'm trying to remember how they phrased it. But in essence, the person who develops relationships easily, which I do. And I always thought that was a key to my strength. And then as it just so happened, I both read the book, but then I took an assessment created by those authors where they try to see which of these was your predominant area, because you could have skill sets in all five of these types of categories. Well, the challenger sale is the person who's willing to challenge a, a, a client or a prospect and say, look, I know you're talking about moving in this direction and in this order. But from my experience and with another client, this is what we did. And this worked out better. Whereas a different client tried it your way and then had to reset and go back. Many salespeople are unwilling to do that. Hmm. Many students are unwilling to challenge a teacher. And in our work environment on our team, have we created uh, a culture where people are willing to challenge each other in a respectful way. That I think is one area where chutzpah uh, will affect people who are bosses in a very positive, bosses and teams in a very positive way. Well, earlier you talked about uh, if you tried to make a decision by consensus and you talked about the difference between consensus and uh, you know a debate of some kind, like, like sharing different ideas. And I think that in some situations, when you try to decide things through consensus, what you end up with is a culture um, that seeks conformity rather than actually looking for the best solution. People just want to make sure that they get seen like they were part of the group. And then if the decision fails, well, it's not any one particular person's fault, and which you know, small business can't afford. But I, I've seen it myself in the corporate world. Right. Where you know you get this this group thing happening at, in some levels, and and it leads to you know mediocrity. I think that's a great point. I think it's important to hear the people who disagree, and we may not accept or believe that their disagreement is worth making a change. But too often, when we look for consensus, we kind of dumb it down's the wrong the wrong way to put it. But we're, we're asking too many people, many of whom, by the way, don't have the expertise. You, you spoke about, you've seen in the corporate world, my first job out of graduate school. I was with a Fortune 500 company. They've since been acquired. The name's not important. And I remember the division I was in, they introduced a brand new brochure. Back in the days, we used to give out nice, expensive uh, four, eight-page brochures every time we went to a trade show uh, because we felt good about it until it ended up in the trash can. But anyway, I remember seeing it and I was young and I thought, I'm not crazy about this. Now, I wasn't part of the team. Well, three days later, now that was my personal view. I never shared it with anybody. Three days later, they were all trashed because the president of the company who hadn't seen the result of this consensus of this team of people from every department possible, almost none of whom had any experience in media, in design had created something that just did not look good. It didn't fit. 
it wasn't compelling. It didn't read well. And that's an example of where sometimes we got to get everybody's improvement, uh, approval just so we can get this done. Does not lead to the best solution. Great example. So we, we, we talked about, you know, the, the characteristics of chutzpah. Is there, is there a way that someone can make a decision that I'm going to work on developing more of this in my own life? Is it simply a matter of knowing what these characteristics are and, and, and trying to push yourself? What do you think? Um, knowing them is part of it, but making the decision that, you know, this can help me. It can help my company. It can help my team members or it can help me personally. That's part of it. Uh, I was speaking with somebody about Shark Tank, that show that that uh, we oh, yeah. all come to, to love and that I think is on 24 hours a day somewhere, some channel somewhere. Uh, and I laughed at the idea of somebody sitting on, on, on their couch, maybe with some popcorn or whatever, thinking, I had that idea about five years ago. I can't believe that, that Mark Cuban just invested in that. That's my idea. And my thought being that, well, you missed out on the carpe diem, right? You could have seized the day. So if you decide that, you know, I have an idea on how to improve customer service and I'm going to share it with my boss because I think we'll get better results and that'll lead to more referral, customer referrals. That's the first part of carpe diem as opposed to, well, if I share it with my boss and the boss doesn't like it, it's going to think I'm an idiot or that I'm stepping I'm outside of my lane, that this is what I'm supposed to be focused on. So that's where I think organizations would benefit from encouraging these eight attributes. Um, and so let's talk about some of these other characteristics. We talked about carpe diem. We talked about ambiguity. What, 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 what are a couple more? Sure. One thing that we also are faced with almost on a daily basis, whether or not we're in sales, by the way, because uh, you, and you'll see in a moment, uh, uh, I have children, they are uh, over 20, but I remember the days they were toddlers. And from the moment that speech was becoming part of their skill set in communication. Uh, one of the first words that every child learns is no. Right? They start giving it back to their parents. Uh, I need you to come uh, put that spoon down or have some vegetables. No. Basically, they are learning to object. We all object to things around us. If we're in sales, we get objections on every sales call, every attempt to persuade somebody if we're uh, uh, on a team, but we don't have the ability to decide somebody's future. In essence, we're colleagues, not in a subordinate uh, boss relationship. We have to learn the subtle art of persuasive communication. And that means learning to handle objections. And that's a skill set that clearly can be practiced and learned. There are numerous books, numerous videos on communicating better, on listening better when someone speaks to you. Too often, and it's a great way to phrase it, it's not my phrase, we listen to respond rather than understand. Mm -hmm. So if I'm thinking you're going to object to something I'm saying on a sales call, I'm not listening to you at the point you're saying, look, I don't think this is a good idea because I might be in a combative mode maybe 
or just, I have to handle this objection and I'm going to override it. I'm just going to run right through it. That's not how things get done, especially in this day and age when there's so many options, so many solutions we can research in minutes on the web. It, it, it's so true. And I mean, I, I mean, I've spent decades working in sales before. Um, well, I, I still am in sales today, but um, just the listening part, you know, the really the active listening and listening for little keywords that give you an idea of what really understanding what the other person's problem is. So you can determine, and, you know, you talk about the challenger sale um, process. Uh, one of the things that, um, that I liked about that book is I realized there are certain parts of it that I was kind of doing naturally because I was always worried about spending too much time with clients that I would never be able to serve, who would never really be able to take advantage of what I was offering. And so I, I kind of, instead of trying to sort of plead and please to try to ingratiate myself to someone to try to get them to want it, I was trying to figure out if they were qualified in that I would be able to show them a positive ROI on whatever it is I was selling. Because I knew that if I couldn't do that, might as well just cut bait and run and spend my time with other people, right? Who I would better be able to serve. And it was interesting is when I took that approach with people, I, I found myself suddenly with people trying to chase me uh, saying, well, wait, wait a minute, you know, what, like th th when I would start to withdraw, they would, they would start to, to pursue. And, and it, it's very interesting. This, this notion of Schutzbach and the way you've described it in the book, um, it really reminded me of a lot of stuff that I've that I've read about mental point of origin and and understanding, you know, the direction or the agency one wants to have in, in where they want to take themselves and how by pursuing that you end up creating value for for yourself and then for everyone that you're associated with, even you know the counterparty to a transaction mm -hmm. um, where yeah, I mean, you're going to be able to actually demonstrate how you can help someone and do something for them. And then they, they in turn are going to benefit from that. Absolutely. And what you also described is why learning the skills, the, the skill of handling objections is so important. You knew that without being able to demonstrate the ROI, you weren't going to get anywhere. And you probably anticipated somebody saying, well, I don't think we can afford this. Well, once you knew already that there was an ROI and perhaps they weren't considering it with the right process and asking questions, you could help them identify that, okay, yeah, I'm not earning here or I'm losing money here or this costs me money by going with this approach, but your solution provides uh, an ROI that they hadn't anticipated. Mm. And even on the handling objections, the, the people that I've seen who are best at this frequently will raise the objections before they're even being raised by the prospect because they know that some are going to come up inevitably. So get them out of the way, get, get agreement, and then it's not raised afterwards. People who raise objections like, like tying themselves to their objections. But if you can get them to agree almost in advance with the right questioning process. By the way, you described how people would then come to you for solutions. I spoke about the challenger sale, and I'm not I'm not pushing anybody's book. I happen to like it. I loved their assessment, uh, and I was surprised that I came out as the challenger because I always thought I was a relationship-type salesperson. But you can be both. Uh, there's another great sales process, which is really about a questioning process called SPIN, S-P-I-N. 
And okay. that stands for a questioning process that helps move the client through the sale and reach the point where they're saying, well, how do I now solve this issue? I hadn't thought of it the way you just explained. And all that comes about through questioning. All right, Mason, we're going to do a little promotional message here, and then we're going to get back to this conversation. So I want to let everyone know that this episode of Small Business and Deal Making is brought to you by smbpodcastnetwork.com. The network is a collection of podcasts and shows from around the internet, which focus on bringing you interviews with amazing guests like Mason, um, who share actionable advice, ideas, and information for small and medium-sized business owners and entrepreneurs. If you head over to smbpodcastnetwork.com, you can find more great shows and easily subscribe to be notified of new episodes. It's a great way to discover quality content from all around the internet. Um, all right. So where can people find your book, Mason, if they want to check it out? Well, fortunately, they don't need to travel to a bookstore. As much as I love local bookstores, I miss them. Uh, the easiest way is to go online to their favorite bookseller. Um, Amazon seems to be the, the giant that picks up most of the sales. But if you go on Barnes & Noble, if you go on other bookstores, it's available through alternative distribution channels as well. You know, and, and I will certainly be adding this to, I've got a, an Amazon reading list that oh. is linked from my main website, davidcbarnett.com. So I'll certainly be adding the book to that as well. It's a, an easy catch-all for, for a lot of the books that I've found to be very useful. Good. Well, thank you. You know, you got me thinking about the old, uh, we speak frequently in business, in sales, in, in complex problems about handling the five, the five W's. So if we think about it in terms of uh, chutzpah, and by the way, it's pronounced multiple ways. Chutzpah, chutzpah, uh, chutzpah. The C-H is, depending on uh, where you are, uh, it can, C-H in the word character sounds like a hard K. In the word uh, chai, as in chai tea, it's a ch sound. In some places, I see people just skipping the C and just going with chutzpah. Um, I think I mentioned it's kind of think of that C as a stop sign in New York City. You're not really required to stop. You can go through it and go straight to the H if you'd like. <laughs> but the, the five W's, if we think about this, the who has it, well, virtually everybody has the capacity. If you've asked somebody out, if you ask somebody to prom, that was an act of chutzpah. It was an act of taking a risk of being told no of feeling uncomfortable. So we learn as we go along to either ask or if we're constantly reprimanded for asking, we kind of give up on it because it's not worth the headache. It's, oh, I don't want my boss to turn me down. No, he's not going to think it's a good idea or uh, my employees will never go for this. You never know till you ask. The only certainty about a no that you're going to get a no is when it's not asked. Mm -hmm. You know, it, that's a that's a great point. You know, when I was reading the book, I was actually, you know, you, you just mentioned it. I was actually imagining different points in my life where, you know, like I wanted to ask a girl out on a date or something like this, because I was I was thinking about this, you know, about seizing the moment. And and maybe there was just a, a momentary opportunity that, you know, you could you could make the request or what or what have you. 
And that was one thing that someone had said to me a long time ago is if you don't ask you, you're holding the no. Right. The only way, the only way to pass that no into a yes is, is to actually act. Yeah. And it's only through, you know, doing it and learning that the rejection doesn't really hurt. You know, when I, when I started off in sales at a university, I was selling on the telephone to start with. And, you know, somebody says, no, I don't want it. Right. Well, you know, it, it doesn't, hurt you physically. I mean, it, like when, when you learn to accept the rejection and that the rejection isn't going to hurt, then you can just, you, you just keep doing it over and over again and you start to get better results. Yeah. And it's not just dating. It's opening a business. It's mm -hmm. championing an idea. We're going to be wrong if we push for something enough. Uh, in uh, Major League Baseball, the best hitters who constantly hit 300 that's a batting average. Basically, that means they only get a hit 30% of the time that they're at bat. Well, for a lot of other areas, surgery, I've got a 30% uh, success rate with my patients. We're kind of, no, that's okay. I think I'm going to find another surgeon. That's just not high enough. But for our industries, depending on what we do, we don't need to be 99% sure. Baseball player, 300%. And they're multi, multi-millionaires. Um, surgery, yes. You, you certainly want better than a 30% success rate. The, uh, getting back to the five W's, if we're, if we're curious and want to keep this going. So I said the who, who has it? Everybody pretty much has chutzpah. Uh, what is it? The chutzpah model, and uh, depending on, on timing for you and for our audience, we'll go through with the eight. At least we'll give everybody, uh, we'll tell everybody what it means, what that uh, stands for. Um, when is it used? Well, for some people, it's like, it's like breathing. Because all around us, we face we sp objections, opportunities, uh, decisions. And to go through these and come out successful more often than not on the other side, chutzpah is involved. Uh, where is it used? As I've said, it's both work and personal. Mm. We don't have to start a business to have chutzpah. But in my mind, if you have a business that you started, you have chutzpah because you know you're taking a chance. You know things may not work out the way you want. And you're on the line for bank loans or other sources of finance that, that uh, people have committed to you, that trust in you, both employees your family, your investors, and then your clients. And then the last piece, why is it helpful? Because chutzpah leads to higher probabilities of success. Uh, the example we gave with a, you know, if you hold on to the no, it's a no, it's not going to happen. If you don't ask for that, your, your, your boss for that raise that you deserve, the answer is no. If you do ask, it still may be no, but it also puts in your boss's mind well, this person is being a little bit more assertive, mm. advocating for himself or herself. And that's a positive. That's what I need. In terms of the model, we spoke about the C, the carpe diem. We spoke about the H, the handling objections. Uh, do you remember uh, the uncovering need, pain, and opportunity side? No, I don't. Okay. So that chapter in the book uh, speaks to the idea that for us to be successful, we can, we can work and be a great employee. 
no doubt about it. And this is not in any way a criticism for somebody who chooses that as their path. But for people who want to move beyond that, who don't mind a little bit of excitement and want the high reward, even if it accompanies higher risk, but they're willing to take that risk, uncovering need, pain, and opportunity are critical. So a uh, story we have uh, roughly 20 years ago, I think it was 22 years ago, two very successful business people, Americans in Paris at a conference, they both sold their companies, are in a snowstorm trying to hail a cab. And it was impossible. They just could not get a cab because snowstorm, uh, bad weather, cabs are hard to find. Everybody's grabbing them up. Well, they think, boy, wouldn't it be great? We have these new devices in our pockets, these phones. Um, if we could just order a, a cab on our phone. Well, this was the seed for what became Uber. Yeah. Because they were the founders of Uber. So what they realized was there was a need. Now, somebody might say, what are you talking about a need? You have cabs, you have limos, you have private car services, you have buses, trains. There are lots of ways for people to, to go where they have to go. So it wasn't an obvious need in the sense that uh, we have no way to get from point A to B because it's just not covered. Rather, it was something new and different that expanded the market. So with this idea in mind, they went out looking for money. And one of the private equity firms they were speaking with hired uh, an expert, a professor in economics to evaluate the model. And the response came back, I don't think they'll ever be worth what they think they're going to be worth. And they were only talking about being worth a billion, as opposed to, I think the highest valuation was in the 65 or $70 billion range uh, at its peak. But uh, And the rationale, the reasoning was, there's so many other options, and they're going to have problems with taxi and limousine commissions. They're going to be regulated out of the industry. Competition is too fierce. They don't have the capital, and our uh, investment won't be enough. So that PE firm passed on the opportunity. So when I speak about the U, uncovering need, pain, and opportunity, they, they, they saw the need. Why did they see it? Because they felt the pain of being stuck on a cold street in Paris during a snowstorm. And they had physical pain in terms of, we're freezing here. We need a way to get back to our hotel. And from that, the idea of this opportunity to create a company that was going to almost develop technology that would enable people to, one, go into business for themselves or work on time periods uh, of their own choosing, create a lot more flexibility in the workspace. That's how the U fits into this model. You, you know, it's interesting how you, you describe that because you're talking about uncovering the, the need or the want that the ultimate customer would have had, the user of right. the service. And one of the things that I've noted quite often in, in my dealings with people who uh, work with me who want to buy a business is that oftentimes the decision to enter the market to buy a business is because they've uncovered their own pain or desire to grow beyond sometimes what being an employee would offer. Um, and the purchase of a business is the solution. They're trying to satisfy that need while avoiding some of the risks of, you know, starting a, a new business from scratch. And it's, it's interesting. I've often described it as a leveling up move uh, because many of these people will actually accept a lower uh, income 
but they want all the other things that come with it, you know, the self-determination and the control and, and, uh, and the ability to, to take that responsibility and, you know, guide their own, their own life in their own direction. Yeah. And that's also a great point about the opportunity side. Uh, very often we look at a problem in the existing solutions and we think, okay, that pretty much uncovers it. The people who go a bit further and start thinking about, but if we change this, it creates another opportunity to either capture more of the market, to create a new market in which we will be the leaders. We will be the trailblazers, which is the T in the model. We'll be the first ones out there defending our position instead of chipping away at somebody else's market dominance or market share. Yeah. We have a, a comment here from Victor who says, this is also true. Your rate of return is far better if you ask than if you don't ask or if you try rather than not trying. Couldn't have, couldn't have said it better. Great comment, Victor. Thank you, Victor. That is, <laughs> that captures it very well. And so we're, we're coming up here to the end of our time, Mason. So uh, the, the book is on Amazon. Where else can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about this topic and, and all the other endeavors that you're up to? Sure. Well, uh, I have a website. It's called thechutzpahguy.com. And chutzpah is spelled C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H, thechutzpahguy.com. Uh, LinkedIn, I encourage people to reach out and connect with me. I love speaking with people. I have ideas to take this book further and develop specific um, uh, books for niches. So, for example, uh, for female entrepreneurs, theirs is a slightly different type of, of chutzpah because they faced a travel uh, um, a problem that many men did not face, and that is they had this the ceiling that limited access to funding uh, to be treated. Uh, equally in boardrooms. So there could be a chutzpah advantage for female entrepreneurs, which I would co-write with the female entrepreneur because there's more credibility there. They know things that I couldn't even begin to imagine, uh, even despite the many interviews I've done. So please reach out, connect. I'm uh, easy to speak with and easy to, to uh, communicate with, to get hold of. Awesome. And, and this tool for measuring... Uh, chutzpah, this is something that you're working on too. So eventually one day you'll be able to create some sort of uh, a program or, or a way for someone to track and, and, and work on this if they decide that they want to grow this uh, set of characteristics. Right. Absolutely. And then also we'll find that there are certain personality types that might be stronger in certain areas and that's fine. So if we think of chutzpah, it's really a scale. And uh, in some cases where something's important to us, our chutzpah becomes paramount. Oh, yeah, I have to stand up for this. I have to challenge over here because that's a lot more important to me than that last issue. That's fine. We move back and forth along that scale. But knowing the eight attributes, the eight behaviors, that uh, enables us to think, okay, in this particular situation, is it calling for me to just simply handle an objection? Or do I have to think outside the, the box and uncover a different opportunity? for a client. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is great. I, I really enjoyed the book. I, I think that I got a copy of it uh, in the late spring and um, read through, and that's when I invited you to come on the program. And, um, and it's really good. I think if anyone out there is 
sort of going through a phase in their life where they're questioning, you know, direction or mindset or, or these types of, uh, you know, that the, their values or attitude toward their values or something like this, it would certainly be a great book to pick up. And it's not that long a read, a few hours probably. And um, I think it, it it's interesting to me because it's almost like you, you, you see something in everyday life that you kind of take for granted, but to stop and really study it and spend some time thinking about it, that's what you've done with this concept and, um, and really taking it apart in an easy to easy to understand way. Well, thank you, David. That's a very great way to, to, to demonstrate the value that I hope to bring to people. Um, I hope we get some more people interested in the book because the feedback I've gotten on it has been very, very positive. And I know it's impacting people. That's my purpose. All right. Well, we're going to sign off. And uh, I want to thank you very much for coming and joining the show. And, um, and for everyone else out there, please pick up the book. And um, it's available on Amazon. And I'll have it in my reading list over my blog site. If you head over to davidcbarnett.com uh, in the tab marked books, um, you'll be able to find it in there. Thank you again, David. And thank you to all who uh, tuned in now. And I'm going to be watching at a future date. I appreciate it. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous, just like me, with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs. JeffAlpaw.com. Use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be.